listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. Annabelle Lee. It was many and many a year ago, in a kingdom by the sea, that a maiden there lived, whom you may know, by the name of Annabel Lee. And this maiden, she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. I was a child, and she was a child in this kingdom by the sea, but we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabelle Lee, with a love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that long ago in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud, chilling my beautiful Annabelle Lee, so that her high-born kinsmen came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulcher in this kingdom by the sea. The angels, not half so happy in heaven, went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know in this kingdom by the sea, that the wind came out of the cloud by night, chilling and killing my Annabelle Lee. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we, of many far wiser than we. And neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabelle Lee. And so, all the night tide, I lie down by the side of my darling. My darling. My life and my bride. In her sepulchre there by the sea. In her tomb by the sounding sea. In The Philosophy of Composition, an 1846 essay written by Edgar Allan Poe, he gives his theory about how good writers write when they write well. He concludes that length, unity of effect, and a logical method are important considerations for good writing. He also states that, quote, the death of a beautiful woman is unquestionably the most poetical topic in the world, end quote. Ulalum is a poem written by Poe in 1847. Much like Poe's poems, The Raven and Annabelle Lee, Ulalum focuses on the narrator's loss of his beloved due to her death. Poe originally wrote the poem as an elocution piece, and as such, the poem is known for its focus on sound. It makes many allusions, especially to mythology. Ulalum. The skies, they were ashen and sober. The leaves, they were crisped and sere. The leaves, they were withering and sere. It was night in the lonesome October of my most immemorial year. It was hard by the dim lake of Alber in the misty mid-region of Weir. It was down by the dank tarn of Alber in the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. Here once, through an alley titanic of cypress, I roamed with my soul. 
of Cyprus with Psyche, my soul. These were the days when my heart was volcanic, as the scoriac rivers that roll, as the lavas that restlessly rolled their sulfurous currents down Yeonic in the ultimate climes of the pole, that groan as they roll down Mount Yeonic in the realms of the Boreal Pole. Our talk had been serious and sober, but our thoughts, they were palsied and seer. Our memories were treacherous and seer, for we knew not the month was October, and we marked not the night of the year. Ah, night of all nights in the year. We noted not the dim lake of Auber, though once we had journeyed down here, we remembered not the dank tarn of Auber, nor the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. And now, as the night was senescent, and star dials pointed to morn, as the star dials hinted of morn, at the end of our path a luquescent and nebulous luster was born, out of which a miraculous crescent arose with a duplicate horn, Astarte's bediamonded crescent, distinct with its duplicate horn. And I said, she is warmer than Diane. She rolls through an ether of sighs. She revels in a region of sighs. She has seen that the tears are not dry on these cheeks, where the worm never dies, and has come past the stars of the lion to point us the path to the skies, to the Lethean peace of the skies, come up in despite of the lion to shine on us with her bright eyes, come up through the lair of the lion with love in her luminous eyes. But Psyche, uplifting her finger, said, Sadly, this star I mistrust, her pallor I strangely mistrust. Oh, hasten, oh, let us not linger, oh, fly, let us fly, for we must. In terror she spoke, letting sink her wings till they trailed in the dust. In agony sobbed, letting sink her plumes till they trailed in the dust, till they sorrowfully trailed in the dust. I replied, this is nothing but dreaming. Let us on by this tremulous light. Let us bathe in this crystalline light. Its sibilic splendor is beaming with hope and in beauty tonight. See, it flickers up in the sky through the night. Ah, we safely may trust to its gleaming and be sure it will lead us aright. We safely may trust to a gleaming that cannot but guide us aright, since it flickers up to heaven through the night. Thus, I pacified Psyche and kissed her and tempted her out of her gloom and conquered her scruples and gloom. And we passed to the end of the vista but were stopped by the door of a tomb, by the door of a legended tomb. And I said, What is written, sweet sister, on the door of this legended tomb? She replied, Ulalum, Ulalum. "'Tis the vault of thy lost Ulalum. "'Then, my heart, it grew ashen and sober "'as the leaves that were crisped and sere, 
as the leaves that were withering and sere. And I cried, it was surely October, on this very night of last year, that I journeyed, I journeyed down here, that I brought a dread burden down here, on this night of all nights in the air. Oh, what demon has tempted me here? Well, I know now this dim lake of Alba, this misty mid-region of Weir. Well, I know now this dank tarn of Alba in the ghoul-haunted woodland of Weir. Said we then, the two then, Ah, can it have been that the woodlandish ghouls, the pitiful, the merciful ghouls, to bar up our way and to ban it from the secret that lies in these wolds, from the thing that lies hidden in these wolds, had drawn up the specter of a planet from the limbo of lunary souls, this sinfully scintillant planet from the hell of the planetary souls? The three central elements of Poe's philosophy of composition are Length Poe believed that all literary works should be short. They should be read in a single sitting. Method Poe dismissed the notion of artistic intuition and argued that writing is methodical and analytical, not spontaneous. Unity of Effect The essay states Poe's conviction that a work of fiction should be written only after the author has decided how it is to end and which emotional response or effect he wishes to create, commonly known as the unity of effect. In this essay, Poe logically decides on the death of a beautiful woman, as it is unquestionably the most poetical topic in the world, and equally, it is beyond doubt that the lips best suited for such topic are those of a bereaved lover. Biographers and critics have suggested that Poe's obsession with this theme stems from the repeated loss of women throughout his life, including his mother, Eliza Poe, Jane Stannard, his foster mother, Frances Allen, and later, his wife, Virginia. In the essay, Poe traces the logical progression of his creation of The Raven as an attempt to compose a poem that should suit at once the popular and the critical taste. Even the term nevermore, he says, is based on logic following the unity of effect. The sounds and the vowels in particular, he writes, have more meaning than the definition of the word itself. He had previously used words like Lenore for the same effect. The raven itself, Poe says, is meant to symbolize mournful and never-ending remembrance. This may imply an autobiographical significance to the poem, alluding to the many people in Poe's life who had died. The Raven Once, upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while I nodded, nearly napping, Suddenly, there came a tapping, as of someone gently rapping, rapping at my chamber door. "'Tis some visitor,' I muttered, tapping at my chamber door, only this and nothing more. Ah, distinctly, I remember it was in the bleak December, and each dying ember wrought its ghost upon the floor. Eagerly, I wished the morrow. Vainly, I had sought to borrow from my book's surcease of sorrow, Sorrow for the lost Lenore, for the rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. 
nameless here forevermore. And the silken, sad, uncertain rustling of each purple curtain thrilled me, filled me with fantastic terrors never felt before, so that now, to still the beating of my heart, I stood repeating, "'Tis some visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, some late-night visitor entreating entrance at my chamber door, this it is, and nothing more.' Presently my soul grew stronger, hesitating then no longer. "'Sir,' said I, or, "'or madam, truly your forgiveness I implore, but the fact is, I was napping, and so gently you came rapping, and so faintly you came tapping, tapping at my chamber door, that I scarce was sure I heard you. Here I opened wide the door. Darkness there, and nothing more. Deep into that darkness peering, long I stood there, wondering, fearing, doubting, dreaming dreams no mortal ever dared to dream before. But the silence was unbroken, and the stillness gave no token, and the only word there spoken was the whispered word, Lenore? This I whispered, and an echo murmured back the word, Lenore. Merely this, and nothing more. Back into the chamber turning, all my soul within me burning, soon again I heard a tapping somewhat louder than before. Surely, said I, surely that is something at my window lattice. Let me see then what thereat is, and this mystery explore. Let my heart be still a moment, and this mystery explore. Tis the wind and nothing more. Open here I flung the shutter when... With many a flirt and flutter, in there stepped a stately raven of the saintly days of yore. Not the least obeyance made he, not a minute stopped or stayed he, but with mien of lord or lady perched above my chamber door, perched upon a bust of palace just above my chamber door, perched and sat and nothing more. Then this ebony bird, beguiling my sad fancy into smiling by the grave and stern decorum of the countenance it wore, Though thy crest be shorn and shaven thou, I said, art sure no craven, ghastly grim and ancient raven wandering from the nightly shore. Tell me what thy lordly name is on the night's Plutonian shore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. <laughs> Much I marveled this ungainly fowl to hear discourse so plainly, though its answer little meaning, little relevancy bore. For we cannot help agreeing that no living human being ever yet was blessed with seeing bird above his chamber door, bird or beast, upon the sculptured bust above his chamber door, with such a name as Nevermore. But the raven, sitting lonely on the placid bust, spoke only that one word, as if his soul in that one word he did outpour. Nothing farther than he uttered, not a feather than he fluttered, till I scarcely more than muttered, other friends have flown before. On the morrow he will leave me, as my hopes have flown before. Then the bird said, Nevermore. Startled by the stillness broken by reply so aptly spoken, doubtless, said I, what it utters is its only stock and store, caught from some unhappy master whom unmerciful disaster followed fast and followed faster till his songs one burden bore, till the dirges of his hope that melancholy burden bore of never, <laughs> never more. <laughs> 
but the raven still beguiling all my fancy into smiling. Straight I wheeled a cushion seat in front of bird and bust and door. Then, upon the velvet sinking, I betook myself to linking fancy unto fancy, thinking what this ominous bird of yore, what this grim, ungainly, ghastly, gaunt, and ominous bird of yore, meant in croaking nevermore. This I sat engaged in guessing, but no syllable expressing to the fowl whose fiery eyes now burned into my bosom's core. This and more I sat divining, with my head at ease reclining on the cushion's velvet lining that the lamplight gloated o'er, but whose velvet violet lining with the lamplight gloating o'er she shall press ah, nevermore. Then, methought, the air grew denser, perfumed from some unseen censer, swung by seraphim whose footfalls tinkled on the tufted floor. Wretch, I cried, thy God hath lent thee, by these angels he hath sent thee, respite, respite and nepenthe from thy memories of Lenore. Quaff, oh quaff, this Kind Nepenthe, and forget this lost Lenore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil. Prophet still, if bird or devil, whether tempter sent or whether tempest tossed thee here ashore, desolate yet all undaunted on this desert land enchanted, on this home by horror haunted. Tell me truly, I implore. Is there, is there balm in Gilead? Tell me, tell me, I implore, quoth the raven, nevermore. Prophet, said I, thing of evil, prophet still, if bird or devil, by that heaven that bends above us, by that God we both adore, tell this soul with sorrow laden, if within the distant Aden it shall clasp a sainted maiden whom the angels name Lenore, clasp a rare and radiant maiden whom the angels name Lenore. Quoth the raven, Nevermore. Be that word our sign of parting, bird or fiend, I shrieked up starting, get thee back into the tempest and the night's plutonian shore, leave no black plume as a token of that lie thy soul hath spoken, leave my loneliness unbroken, quit the bust above my door, take thy beak from out my heart and take thy form from off my door, quoth the raven, nevermore, and the raven, never flitting, still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of Pallas just above my chamber door. And his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming. And the lamplight o'er him streaming throws his shadow on the floor. And my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor shall be lifted Never more. Thank you for listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. Please hit the subscribe button to never miss a show. 
The original content of this program copyright the Mark Redfield Company. Now available on Audible and other fine audio retailers. If you're brand new to the works and life of the great American storyteller and poet Edgar Allan Poe, this recording is for you. Sherwin Cody wrote this biography for beginners of the wonderful works and life of Poe as part of a series of books for young readers in 1899. I narrate the book, and I made some small revisions where needed, updating the manuscript for historical accuracy based on new information since the story of Edgar Allan Poe was originally published. Poems by Poe have been added to this spoken word edition that were not in the 1899 original. If you're just beginning your journey into the life and works of Edgar Allan Poe, this audio recording is perfect for you. If you're a seasoned Poe aficionado, then share and gift this spoken word recording of The Story of Edgar Allan Poe with a young person just meeting Poe for the first time. The Story of Edgar Allan Poe by Sherwin Cody, adapted and narrated by me, with poems by Edgar Allan Poe. This house is full of sounds. My name is Roderick Usher. The loudest is your heart. Who's there? Pounding with fear. The softest is the sound of horror. In this house, terror waits for you in every room. No, no, not through that door. Madness, mystery, imagination. You'll find them all in Edgar Allan Poe's Haunted House of Usher.